So we are actually, we started, I believe, in November, or was it early December? This is only our fourth time together. Some of you are hard to get together. You're always praying for snow, and it comes on Wednesdays, <laughs> right? So stop. Pray for it on Thursdays or something. <laughs> yeah. No, not Saturday, because then we miss Sunday. So, so anyway, no, it's... I was talking to Pastor Lance and Pastor Ryan earlier, and it's like, this is the most mild Iowa winter I ever remember. So I am not whining. <laughs> so this is all right. I'll take it. So anyway, we're going through some deep dive things in Acts. All right. And there's different ways to study the Bible. Uh, Pastor Lance, I'm sure when he decided to preach through Acts, and then looked and saw that there were 28 chapters, probably had fear strike in his heart, right? I preached through um, Luke. There's 24 chapters in Luke, but there, Luke is wordy, both in Acts and in Luke. But uh, you can go high level, so you can go faster, or you can go deep, but deep is not fast, right? So the, neither is right or wrong. But there's, when you go fast, you can't go deep. So we're covering something that I think the Pastor Lance covered in maybe a couple sentences, right? So we're just expanding on that. So just an FYI here. But the issue here is, if, if this will work, there we go. By the way, here's, I told you you get the code every time. So you, I'm putting all the stuff and even extra things like today. There's an outline of the entire book of Joel out there. Um, and not like what you think of, but I outlined every part of Joel. So it's kind of uh, tied up there. Let me see if I can get it to pop up here. I'll show you what it looks like. My computer doesn't obey my voice, so... I'll show you at the end if you remind me, but as long as the PowerPoint's on it, it doesn't work. But anyway, that'll take you there. The question tonight, and some of you may think, big deal. And I'm saying I used to be like that, okay? So it's okay to think that, but I hope you don't think that after tonight, okay? Was Joel 2 fulfilled at Pentecost? And you're like, what is Joel 2? And remind me again what Pentecost is? Right? So Joel 2 was quoted by Peter during his sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2. Oh, there's the Acts part, Kevin. Now I get where you're coming from a little bit. Acts 2, 12 through 21 is part of that sermon, okay? He actually preached chapter 2 and chapter 3. Okay, at least a part of it. Um, understanding Old Testament passages quoted in the New Testament in their context. Let me, this is not in any of the slides. You cannot properly understand the New Testament without at least a good familiarity of the Old Testament. And you will see that this week and next week. 
All right? You will see that. If the Old Testament lays the foundation for the New Testament in so many different ways, and when you start reading through your Bible, which, again, I encourage you to do every year at least, it's a, it's a huge sacrifice of like 15 minutes a day. And that's sarcasm, by the way. 15 minutes a day, but you get to see everything. Pastor Lance can't preach through it all in his lifetime. But all the Bible is given and is profitable. How do you get that? By reading through it. Okay? But you have to understand the Old Testament at some level of familiarity in order to understand the New Testament. When we do not do that, we misinterpret what the New Testament is saying. Some books are absolutely built. Hebrews is totally a cloud of fog without the Old Testament. But many other books are the same way, right? So let's keep going here. We're going to show that. By the way, this is a general, how many heard of Jay Adams before? Big into counseling, if you're into counseling. He also has written preaching. Uh, uh, my first book on uh, pastoring was by Jay Adams. I know it was a trilogy set of books. But he says this. This is a general statement, but listen to this. There are few there are, are few deficiencies in preaching quite so disastrous in their effect as the all-too-frequently occurring failure to determine the telos. The telos is a Greek word that actually is there quite a bit, but it means the end or finality. Jesus used it in the perfect form on the cross. Um, it is finished, right? The telos or the purpose, the intention of the passage, if you will, of a preaching portion. The passage, and therefore the word of God itself, is misrepresented, misused, and mishandled when its purpose has not been determined with the direct result that its power and its authority are lost. You use the wrong passage to say something or do you misinterpret wrongly and you miss the point of the passage you miss the value of the passage right you you misunderstand it i used an illustration in a dell sunday how many have used a map in the last 10 years i don't want to say five because probably nobody would raise your hand right but i said you look at the map and you want to go to, I think I use the illustration of Davenport, Iowa, not your couch. So you get here, you head to the interstate, okay, and then you go straight east on the interstate. You know, corn, 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 you know the song. <laughs> and you get to Davenport. But what if, watch me now, what if you have the map like this? What direction do you go to get to Davenport? North. But guess what? You never see Davenport. You see all of the people that talk funny in Minnesota. Hey. Right? <laughs> I meant Canada. <laughs> oh, I can't. I'm in trouble. <laughs> that doesn't mean they are funny. 
talk. Okay, let's keep going here. See the idea though? You can everyone has the same Bible, but if you misinterpret it, it doesn't do you any good, even though it's absolutely accurate. Fair? Doesn't do you any good at all. In fact, it leads you the wrong way. Eh? Anyway, the thing to be avoided at all costs is to impose your own purposes on the passage. You must be extremely careful not to allow this to happen. Plainly, the history of preaching and sermon analysis shows that this is what has been done again and again. More often than not, if a sermon has been discernible, has a discernible purpose at all, that purpose turns out to be the preacher's purpose rather than the purpose of the Holy Spirit. What you must work for is to make his purpose your own. Again, I, I've repeated this as long as I've been in the ministry, but I heard it one time on the radio by John MacArthur. Most of you have heard of him. But he said, the pastor's job is like a waiter. It's your job to get the food from the chef to the table without messing it up. Right? It's, there's no creativity at some point. Right? It's delivery of what God has spoken, ultimately. Okay? General speaking, we'll see this in Joel 2. So, in Acts 2, in Joel 2. Here's the passage. It's in your notes as well. So if you prefer to read it there or online, I'll just do it this way. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, where are the cookies? <laughs> I forgot all about the cookies. Some of you got cookies. God is good. Uh, Sammy, Jerry, uh, one of you want to... We pay people to listen to Kevin here. <laughs> so anyway, my wife baked them this afternoon, and yes, they are expert tested. So anyway, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. They're drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock. All right? Now here's the, see the bold print here? This is kind of where we're at today. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What, just, what you saw, the speaking in tongues, and by the way, they heard their own language, but they also heard languages that didn't make any sense from other places, Right? And it shall come to pass in the last... Now he's quoting Joel from here. Joel 2, starting in verse 28, actually. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Okay, continuing on here, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls 
on the name of the Lord shall be saved. By the way, we're going to talk about that last part next week because it has everything to do with what we're talking about this week. Okay? So hang on to that. What is Peter saying? Joel 2 is fulfilled or something else? You like that general generalization? Joel 2 is being fulfilled right before you or something else than Joel 2 is being fulfilled. Okay? We must look at the Old Testament quote in its context. You have to see what Joel says to understand what Peter is saying. All right? So far, so good. All right. I'll look at your notes so that I know where I'm at, okay? Here's the quote in its context. And by the way, you can see here... Um, Acts 2, right? Why examine the context of the Old Testament quotation? Um, I was going to read all of Joel 2, but I didn't bring my Bible. I have an electronic Bible. Yeah, can I borrow yours? Joel 2, the entire chapter. How many chapters in Joel, by the way? Three? Three chapters in Joel. Joel's in the Old Testament? Yeah. I'm going to sing the song, Hosea, Joel, Amos. It's right after Daniel, a couple books after Daniel. You can follow along if you want. I'm in the New King James. Here we go. Blow the trumpet in Zion. And, and listen closely if, you, if you're not following along. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations." A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds so they run. With a noise like chariots, over mountaintops they leap. Like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. I'm on verse 6 now. Before them, the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. Tony, what do you think of that? Yes, they very well disciplined. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. Verse 10, the earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark. 
Hang on to that idea. And the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? A grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep before the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Do you see uh, something really bad happening? Stop your wedding. Pray to the Lord. Verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Hang in there. We're getting close to being done here. Fear not, verse 21, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, whom? Can I just ask that for a sec? You children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, real, literal locust, we didn't read chapter 1, but you can go there if you want to read about it. Three different kinds of locusts. In fact, he mentions them here. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army, which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of, who wants to help me out here? Israel. Very important to understand the context of this. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. And verse 28, this is what Peter quotes. And it shall come to pass afterward 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Does this sound familiar now? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass. Boy, that perks our ears up because we hear this a lot. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then notice the rest of the verse. For in Mount Zion... And in Jerusalem, there shall be, what? Deliverance. And the, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Here you go, see him. Okay, so you're saying, Kevin, I, I think I caught most of that. Good. Two points here. Why examine the context of the Old Testament quotation in Acts 2? Now, we were a little hard on Peter. Before, remember, we said, should he have replaced Judas, at least from Kevin's perspective? No. Right? I don't believe that it was legitimate. He was never told that. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't tell them to do that, all of the above. And Jesus eventually picked another apostle, which was Paul. Okay? But I said, if this would have happened... At Pentecost or after, I said I wouldn't have been teaching that because notice it's a different Peter. This guy is quoting from Joel 2. Four and a half verses. And he's eloquently presenting history and gospel and all of that. Okay? All of a sudden, he's a different Peter because he has the enablement of the Holy Spirit, not only as a believer, but as an apostle now. He has the ability that God had said they would have. Okay, so here, important. Peter is not using the verse out of context. That's in your notes, by the way. You can fill this out. We're starting to actually get to the blanks. He's not using the verse out of context. Peter says this is what Joel said. He's referring to the context. So unless you understand what Joel is saying, you're not going to understand the point of what Peter is saying. And I say something very similar. Peter is using it within or from its context. We'll see that again because this verse is quoted elsewhere. Anyone want to remind us where you find it? The last verse, Joel 2.32, is quoted in Romans 10. Over and over and over and over out of context. Oh, we said we'd talk about that next week. Okay, I'll move on. Then, okay, what specific verses are quoted? It's verses 28 to 32a. He stops there because he makes his point. We read the rest of it. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be a great deliverance among the remnant whom the Lord your God shall call. Okay, which explains that. We'll talk about that next week. Note what is left out. That's what I just talked about. More on that later. What is an extended context of the passage quoted? So we just read Joel 2, so I won't do that more. 
But a couple things that, how many heard the day of the Lord mentioned a couple times? Did you catch that? How many references to either Israel or the land or Zion or my people? All of those over and over. And again, by the way, I have this, a lot of this uh, color-coded and highlighted in my outline for Joel. All of Joel that I'll show you hopefully at the end here. So that, uh, and it's also that what, what we understand is the end of the tribulation period, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Okay, we haven't, it doesn't mention tribulation per se. It sure talks about all the things that happened during the tribulation and other places in the Bible. Okay, we'll get to that. But it's specific, and you'll see, I have all of the verses in your notes here to make it easy. What observations can be made of the immediate context of Joel 2. Now we're talking about chapter 20 or chapter 2 verses 28 to 32 roughly. What Peter quoted. Cuz we're asking is is this fulfilled during what just happened at Pentecost or is it not fulfilled, right? Is Peter saying something else? Well, let's make some observations. How do, how many we have eight on the back side of your notes here, okay? So here we go. It involves a specific prophecy. It's not a general statement. It's a specific prophecy. And I have it in your notes in light print, but hopefully you can see it. And it shall come to pass. That's a prophecy. This will happen. This will happen in the future. Okay? Prophecy. You with me? Okay? No argument there. It shall come to pass. Oh, I guess I have it up here. I forget. I prepared this a week ago. <laughs> I reviewed it, and I did add one more thing here last night. But, uh, it shall come to pass in the last days. So it's prophetic. It's talking about when. Give me, give me a guess. You don't have to guess. In the what? Last days. Brilliant, right? We, can, we don't have to know. We can just read it. It's that obvious, okay? It involves a specific point of time. This isn't a general idea. It's a very specific prophecy about a specific point in time. You see this at least three times, probably more, but I think I pointed out three here. In the last days afterward, chapter 1 talks about a ravaging um, Famine that's caused by three different kinds of locusts that we identified in chapter 2. But also then there's this huge military, highly disciplined, highly effective force that seems to be able to get into windows, run on walls and everything. I mean, they're highly trained elite. And they're in front of them is the Garden of Eden and the back of them is desolate wilderness. They just ravage everything and burn it up. It's in the last days afterward all of that happens. By the way, that hasn't happened yet. So it's following the military rescue and crop restoration because God says, I will restore to you what the locusts have eaten. Okay? And he's really talking about locusts. It's not some spiritual vagary that uh, is for us today. He's really talking about that. They'll have food. In those days, verse 29, and you can flip the page over if you want to see the 
context, but there's the verse that I added last night. In those days, it's a specific time. It's not just a general principle idea. This has a, is a specific prophecy for a specific time. One more to add there. You should have this in your notes. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, there's different ways to view it, and they're not like pick one and the others are wrong. The day of the Lord is the entire end times. The day of the Lord is a specific terrible time at the end of the tribulation period. And finally, it's the day of the Lord when Jesus comes to earth. All are true. Okay? This happens right before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So a specific time, point in time, okay? And it shall come to pass in verse 32. There you go. After all of those things happen, chronologically follow this through, and it shall come to pass, following all that had happened previously. Number three, it involves a specific pervasive pouring out of the Spirit. What does pervasive mean? All-encompassing. All who, who had something else? Everywhere, right? Just let me ask you this. Did Pentecost fulfill that? It says here, two words here that I have a problem with. If it, you say it's fulfilled, and I'm not saying you do, but people do. They say we are, people argue with the um, um, continuationist idea where it, uh, we speak in tongues and all of that stuff. All of this is proof here. And you're like, no. You need to know Joel better, and you need to look and see what happened. Did the Spirit get poured on all flesh? At Pentecost, no. What about the people listening? They're like, what? That didn't sound like spirit-filledness, you know. Are you drunk? You know, that's really not an indication of spirit-filling that someone's... No, it was just a very few people... Right in the upper room originally, and then they came down. There was a sound of rushing mighty wind, and that the, the crowd heard it and moved toward the sound. And all of a sudden, they're speaking in their own dialects, their own languages. But it says, All flesh, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and my maid servants will I pour out my spirit in those. Days. There's another in those days, right? None of that happened. It was a microcosm of small that happened. And by the way, it seemed to happen only twice or three times altogether. It was an indicator of validation, if you will, not initiation. It wasn't starting something. It was just saying, boom, I'm doing something special so you, you know that I'm doing something special. Right? God, I'm speaking as God right there. So it's a pervasive, all flesh is pervasive. Everybody, aged, apparently no age limitation, and it's just ongoing revelation and all that. By the way, that matches other things in the Old Testament that'll happen during the millennium. Right? It'll get to the point, the New Covenant says ultimately that you won't have to have anybody teach you you can still have them cook you cookies. But you don't need anyone to teach you anymore because you will know it. And I'm like, wow, I can't remember what I did this morning. 
right? But then I'll remember it all and I'll know it all because it'll be there. It'll be a pervasive pouring out of the Spirit. It also involves specific atmospheric phenomena. Isn't that a song, Phenomena? No, that's something else. It involves specific, at least somebody laughed, right? Thank you for that. And I will show, listen to this, I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. Did that happen on Pentecost? Any indication at all? I think the Hebrew is huh. Not a... Not at all. I don't know Hebrew bit. Nothing. None of that happened. Peter's quoting it, but none of that happened, okay? Five, it involves a specific prayer. Whoever calls, it says at the very end, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. And the word call can be translated praise or P-R-A-Y-S. We'll get to that in more detail next week. But they are, when we say call on the Lord, we mean pray to the Lord, right? It's, it's a synonym for us. So it's specific prayer. It involves a specific place, right? This is not ubiquitous. It's not... You can't use that prayer everywhere because it's a particular prophecy point in time, pouring, pervasive pouring out of the Spirit, atmospheric phenomena, a prayer in a specific place. What's the place? In Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, right? So we tie that in a lot with our, with our I mean, evangelistic tracts or whatever, and it's like, ah... Uh, Okay, you can use it for evangelism if you're in Mount Zion in Jerusalem then. Okay, you know, if that's what it means, you're limited geographically. I'm just saying, okay? Because he's quoting from Joel 2. We'll get into more of that deeper next week. It involves a specific physical rescue. Read the rest of the verse. Oh, I have it here. Shall be saved, verse 32, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved for, and then it goes on to say the rest of the verse here, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be a great, what? Instead of salvation, it uses the term deliverance. Now listen. The principle in the Old Testament, most of the time when you hear the term salvation, it's not talking about salvation like saved from your sins. It's like salvation as in rescue me. And you can look at, look at the Old Testament. It's kind of like Peter in the New Testament walking on water. Lord, save me. Right? When he looked away, was he saying, Lord, forgive my sins? I know, you know. No, I'm drowning. Help deliver me, right? So you can say, shall be delivered, shall be a deliverance. We'll talk about more of that next week. But the context here is a physical deliverance in a particular place after a particular prayer. And finally, by a particular people, a specific people. Because it goes to say this. 
as the Lord has said among the what? Who did the prayer? The remnant. They're the ones that called, and God rescues them, delivers them from this event here. Okay? So remember these. You'll see them again next week. I'll review them next week as one point. I'll just throw them up there real quick. Questions on this at all? Joel 2 says this is what will happen in the future. It's a prophecy, particular point in time, a pervasive pouring out of the Spirit where everybody, everybody, atmospheric phenomena didn't happen on Pentecost. Involves a specific prayer, specific place, physical rescue, and people. Specific people. Go ahead, Scott. Six and eight. Couldn't you argue that those were fulfilled? Because Pentecost did happen on Mount Zion. And then as far as the people, you could argue that the people that listened to the apostles, um, they, they are that moment. Um, yeah, but you would have to say that all of the things that had to happen up to that point already happened. So I'm yeah. saying if, if you had none of the other qualifications, you got a good argument. But if you don't have the qualification, if you don't have the criteria that all these other things had happened already, then it's, it's not that group of people. So it's true. Geographically, Pentecost happened in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. But, you know, good point, good, good idea there. All of the other things had to happen first, right? And it shall come to pass afterwards that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? All of that other stuff had to happen. Good question. Good, good observation. Who else? All right. Yeah, like a multiple multiple applications or fulfillments, yeah. I don't think so. I'm not saying it isn't possible. I don't think it's true. And I will show you that next week in Romans 10. Tony, that's what the cookies are for. I'm not trying to get you I'm not trying to get you to come. I pay you to come back, right? Okay, so but good. They, that keep thinking. Right? Keep thinking. And I want you to be persuaded, not just think it because I said it. Right? But I think you'll agree with me next week. Summary. None of the eight criteria were met in Acts 2, at least with Scott's input in the correct order. Right? Historically, the remnant can't be there unless all of the other stuff happened. Uh, what was Peter saying? I believe this is, these are Kevin's words now, but I'm putting it in my own words. Do not be confused about what is happening today. They had just heard languages. The Bible even indicates not only their own language, but their own dialect. Right? So it's like, yeah, we're from Iowa, but if you're from southern Iowa, you talk different. 
And you would recognize that there. Okay, I'm just saying, it's not just generally, it was specifically, it's like, wow. You know, like people can recognize that they're from Brooklyn by the way they talk, but it's still England. Well, me, I don't know, you talk about But that idea. Joel's prophecy indicates that God, what God will do in the last days, right? Fact, God will do these things in the last days. And Joel's prophecy illustrates what God's power can do. And I think I have one more, do I? So God's power is, has already been prophesied. And then lastly, Joel's prophecy exemplifies what God did do for today's special occasion. Remember, he was starting the church. The church was not seen in the Old Testament Tongues was intended to be a validator, not an initiation of phenomena that continued. Okay, and you'll, you'll see that just a few times it was there, like when the disciples of John the Baptist, I believe, they spoke in tongues, for example. Just whenever there was a significant change that needed to be validated, that's what happened. Okay. All right, let me show you the one thing I said I would show you. The Joel outline here, I have it in. So here's the website that I make. I, you can't read it all, but there's a Joel 1 through 3 English outline. So this is the homework I do before I stand up in front of you. But I have, there's some color highlights. You can't really see it from here. And now I'm working with my left hand. That's so grain offering, drink offering, house of the Lord, things that relate to Israel. Um, the land itself is highlighted. Uh, priests, minister, right? This is Joel chapter 1. Highlight the day of the Lord in yellow. So you'll, you'll catch the, the color codes and all that. But this is just the kind of stuff I put on there that if you want to look at my homework. And I outline it here. I explain it to the right side there. Next week, we're going to cover, Lord willing, and the snow isn't too bad or whatever, you know, next week. But we're going to apply this to who, who calls on the name of the Lord. And if I could make it very narrow, believers or unbelievers, it's usually applied to the latter. But I believe most definitely the way the Bible uses it, it's always the former. Believers call on the name of the Lord. And to find out my logic for that and to get more cookies, or just to come to get cookies, come next week, okay? Any other questions or comments? And again, you don't have to agree with me. I'm just giving you my logic you know, if it is logic, but it makes it makes Romans ten make all kinds of sense too. But you'll see that next week. Do you go back to the QR code? Yeah. Does that work? Or I guess I can make it a little bigger. Yeah. Go ahead. Could you summarize in a nutshell, why did Peter quote that? 
Um, to explain what was happening with the tongues? To illustrate what was... To yeah, to relate it to God's promised power in the future is similar to what's happening today, but he's not saying it's fulfilled. He's just saying there's a similarity. Right, so God's power is for, uh, foretold, and this is just the... You shouldn't be surprised. Here's the display of God's power. And I cannot come up with any other reason that makes sense because none of those other things are fulfilled. So he's not saying this is this. It's illustrating yeah, the power of God. It's coming in the future. What makes this such a big deal? You know, why are you having such a hard time believing what's happening before your eyes? And they're like, why didn't you bring cookies, Peter? We would have listened more closely. <laughs> Let me pray, okay? Lord, thank you for our time together. And Lord, just help us again to continue to just study your word and study it deeply so that we can rightly divide your word so that we can follow your map. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. And there are more cookies up here, even though I'm done talking. <laughs>